That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to Brace for Impact. I'm your host, Nick Jeevis. And yes, they were indeed crazy enough here at Just the News to let me keep going and to do more episodes. And this one is a special one, as are most of them. But this one stands above the rest for a lot of reasons. And mainly because in the trailer for the show, when we first released it, I was discussing how we'd be interviewing certain people that were going to be looked at as angels in my life. And by that, I mean they breathed new life into me. They took an interest in me. And they showed me love and compassion in helping me craft my professional and my personal life. And Matt Lewis, columnist, author, Daily Caller alumnus, CNN pundit, he was one of the main people that really made me who I am today. I have him to thank for so much. We go way back because when I was an intern at the Daily Caller, back in about 2015, 2016, around there, that's when I was sick and didn't know it. So I was walking around the offices with a younger Tucker Carlson who hadn't really ex- exploded again on the scene yet at Fox. He was starting to, but back when he would still have time to sit with us and have coffees. And I noticed that this place, this office, the Daily Caller was special because it had so many different personalities and it had so much humor and it was an open forum. You could throw any question or joke or idea that you wanted out into that newsroom and you were going to get something good back whether it was a joke in return, a good piece of advice maybe for your article. It was amazing. I'd never seen a group of people flow so well. It was like water. And Matt was one of those people. He used to host a, well, a lot of people would come and be guest speakers, but he was one of the main people that did a forum we had for interns at the Daily Caller. It was called From Here to There, I believe. And it was basically someone of success that was connected to the caller explaining how they got from A to B. And when Matt came up and it was his turn to do it, he may have even been the first one if my memory serves. He gave us advice on how to be smarter. Just because you're lifting 300 pounds and it's not moving and you're sweating a ton doesn't mean you're actually getting anything done or you're working. So he kind of took that tact of be more clever with how you approach things and you'll find success in this business, in media and politics. And from there, I went up to him. Any person at that place that offered their services or put their hand out or said, hey, come by my office, I took them up on it. And Matt, along with a couple other guests that we're going to have on in the future, took to it right away. I always used to jokingly call him my Obi-Wan Kenobi because at the time he was one of the foremost columnists on not just conservative thought, but political stories. He was down the middle enough to where it wasn't just the right wing that read him. And that did cause him some problems, and we're going to talk about that in the show a little bit, about how media has become so much of a camp. Either you're in one side or the other, or you're a professional centrist, and if you're any one of those three don't fit your mold, you're in trouble. So Matt went through a little bit of that. He was accused, after going on CNN, of not being a true conservative, but I know Matt, and 
his conservative bona fides aside, he's a great journalist. He's a great columnist. He's a great author. He even wrote a book called Too Dumb to Fail, talking about the GOP. I think this was back in 2018. And as the book was coming out, I remember after I'd faced my medical battles as an intern, I was starting to get sick. And the pain was so awful, I couldn't sleep at night. But I was afraid to admit that because I was getting stories published. I'd interviewed Dinesh D'Souza while he was in prison during the Obama administration in 2015. That's towards the end. I had gotten an interview with Gary Johnson about the legalization of marijuana. For a 20-something kid with no byline, this was great. So I was very afraid to share with the office manager, with any of my seniors, that I was having this crushing pain in my side, in my back. Part of me was a little worried that it could have been my pediatric cancer resurging, but I thought maybe it was from my broken back. I'd also broken my back. So it was a very difficult time for me, and Matt was there. I could go to the office, knock on the door, and we could have a closed-door meeting or an open-door chat. And he treated me like a son. I felt like a little brother or a son when he was able to tell me the truth with humor, and he was able to give me an outline of what's the best way forward. Just like I do now with some people, I think I may have picked that up in part from Matt. We would sit down and reason it out. Okay, your worst fear is A. Let's say that happens. Then what? And then we kind of talk it out so that out loud, I had a chance to go over my thoughts. And he was a very wise, honest person to bounce them off of. And I also got to meet his children and his family. As I wrote more with him and I came back after my internship, uh, I'd gotten sick and I did have to tell them eventually. And I didn't think I was ever going to work at Daily Caller again. Because at first, I didn't know I was ill. I thought it was my fault that I wasn't getting up. I wasn't doing my job. And I thought the door was closed forever to come back. But then I went through all those surgeries and they realized, oh, he wasn't blowing us off. He actually had spinal cancer and brain cancer. And he actually did break his back years ago. And Matt was one of the people that helped grease the wheels for me to get an interview for a full-time position. And then once that happened, it was great. I'd get to talk to Matt about playing on the softball team, which I eventually got to become captain of. I just liked that he was proud of me. I liked that I got to come back and show him, hey, look what your faith and your time and your effort have purchased that you invested into me. And his family was great. You know, he has two sons and his wife is a beautiful woman uh, inside and out. She was always very kind and welcoming to me. And He gave me a little glimpse at fatherhood once, and I like to tell this story very quickly before we dive into the interview, and then I'll let Matt take it away. But I remember going over to his house nearby in this area at the time, and I saw him playing old school video games. He had like a Super Nintendo emulator, and his two kids were a little younger than they are now. And I took a picture of Matt explaining something to one of his sons, and I thought, wow, this is special. This is what it is meant to look like a home, people that love one another. And they also just look so happy to be there with him. And it gave me a desire to push past my health issues and want kids again. And it showed me the upside of what a life like that could feel like and could be like. And I don't think I'd ever seriously considered it because of my health problems. So Matt opened a lot of doors for me through family, through humor, through faith. And one of the most intelligent people I've ever met, the man is, he might be a genius. I don't want to throw that word out there too often to then wear it out. But 
Matt, I think, would certainly qualify if you really dug down deep and got to look into his brain the way I have as a colleague. Matt's one of the smartest people in the business. And he took great personal care in helping me when I did fall ill and even after when I had to do MRI checkups every three to six months while being looked at as, oh, you're healthy, Nick, you're good, you, you beat it. Matt was one of the few people that understood that it drags. When you have surgery and you beat cancer, yes, you may be in remission, your surgery may be over, but I had scar tissue, chronic pain, other issues, smaller things that happen to everybody, like a broken finger or a fever. It compounded because of all the other things I had in my body going on. And Matt understood that and respected me that I would even get up at all out of bed and try to get in there every day at 6 a.m. or 6.30 uh, while I was working at the Daily Caller News Foundation. And he made it fun. He left eventually before I moved on to Fox News, but we still keep in touch. We still talk. He was one of the first people when I thought of, who can I interview? Who can I really get a great sit down with? Matt was top five. He was already there before I ever even got the show. So Matt, he's also one of the funniest people I think I've ever met because he's that kind of guy that'll tell you that joke in church that you can't get out of your head and then you start laughing. It's completely inappropriate, but it's dead on and hilarious. That was Matt. And when he'd hit me with some of these unexpected under his breath jokes in the office, he'd have me howling for hours about it sometimes or still giggling to myself after the fact. And I respected that about him. He didn't treat it like it was life or death because as much as we like to forget it in this town, especially, there is more to life than work. So without further ado, let's take a listen, sit back, take a sip of whatever's in front of us about how Matt Lewis and I are going to discuss the politicians are getting fat and rich while the country hurts. He talks about what it takes to be a good writer. And we do dive into that Saturday Night Live libertarian craziness that was the Daily Caller. So relax, open your ears, open your hearts for one of my good friends, one of the best authors, columnists, and pundits in all of DC, my good friend, Matt K. Lewis. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're talking to Matt Lewis today. He is an author. He is a writer. He's written for websites such as townhall.com, dailycaller.com. He's currently with the Daily Beast. He's the author of the political book, Too Dumb to Fail, and a good friend of mine. Matt, thank you for joining us. Nick Jeeva, it's good to be here. Oh, Matt, you have so much on your resume that we could talk about, but I'd like to go into journalism as a broad industry. I like to ask all my guests to start what they think about the industry that they're in as a whole. And the media right now looks like the, it, people are having trouble trusting the media. They don't know what side to believe. It's very chaotic. People are pinned against each other. What do you think is the state of our business, our calling, if you will, today? I think it's definitely very challenging. I mean, um, I think that, you know, in the mainstream media has lost a lot of trust, I think deservedly so. And then I think you've got right-wing media that has lost a lot of tr trust, and I think deservedly so. So uh, unfortunately, it creates a scenario where the average person 
uh, doesn't have any place to go to sort of arbitrate what is actual truth. And as a conservative, that's very problematic um, because I've always kind of believe that this whole thing about like, well, this is my truth and these uh, that that was very bad. And, um, you know, until recently, I think we did have a a media that was liberally biased. But by and large, you could generally trust uh, what they were saying. And I think in recent years, the mainstream media has moved left. And then I think that uh, the alternative media, which conservative media has too often engaged in alternative reality. So it's a really sad state of affairs. And uh, people are, you know, just really tuning us out. And, and uh, the mainstream, I, I do a lot of stuff in the mainstream media. And I think a lot of Americans, including many of my relatives, uh, have tuned us out. Now, do you think people are too afraid to be so-called centrist or fair or down the middle because one day or one, at one point, someone from one side or the other is going to say, pick a side. I think part of the, the fear feeds into that, the lack of centrism, the lack of fact. I Fear definitely feeds into it. I think the primary uh, incentive is financial and um, money and also fame. And, and so basically, if you are at a conservative outlet and you want to get clicks and you want to get on TV, um, being fair and balanced and, and down the middle is not the way to do it. And, and similarly, if you are in the mainstream media or like, let's say that you were to go on CNN or MSNBC, you know, two networks that I've spent my share of time on. Um, if you want to get the audience who's watching it to love you and to, to follow you on Twitter um, and and to retweet the things that you say, the best thing to do is not to be down the middle, right? The farther left you go, more likely the more clicks and attention you're going to get. So I think that there is this sort of perverse incentive and this temptation that drives people to the left and the right. And um, unfortunately, I don't even think it's representative of the American public, but it is representative of the people who are political junkies who who are primarily on Twitter and watching cable news. Trading the truth for cash or for likes or for clicks. Yeah, we've seen that a lot. And I guess I want to ask you, and again, another part of the show is kind of getting down to the nitty gritty and talking to people as if we're just talking on the phone. I came up with you. You were one of my mentors at The Daily Caller back when you were a columnist there, a writer there, you were going on TV. And I want to ask, what made you different? Because although none of us are perfect, a lot of people in this business are sharks. Like you said, they want more likes. They want more money. It's almost a addiction, an addiction, a way of life that is just on autopilot. Why did you care what we interns learned? You would teach us in a class about how to be a good journalist. What motivated you in this world of money and clicks and likes to take your time to tell us how to be good journalists? I, I mean, I think there might be a couple things at play. One is I really didn't get into journalism until a little bit later in life. You know, I was probably about 30 when I segued from working in politics to covering politics and writing about politics. So, you know, I, I, maybe a younger person might be more susceptible to some, some of the temptations, of, you know, delusions of grandeur of, of becoming famous or whatever, trying to become famous. Um, and also, I think when I did get involved in journalism and kind of come of age in journalism, it was healthier than it later became. 
Um, and so I was able to develop some good habits and and have my own mentors, people who had been people like I just one example of many would be Carl Cannon, who is um, he's at Real Clear Politics. He was my editor at Politics Daily, which was owned by AOL. His dad is Lou Cannon, the, the great Reagan biographer. And so um, I was kind of blessed maybe to come along when I did. And I didn't face as many temptations as young writers and journalists may now um, to to kind of abandon, um, you know, uh, that old old school journalism in favor of partisan hackery um, in terms of teaching. You know, I, I there was a time when I wanted to be a teacher. I actually, my when I started at college, I was an education major. Oh, I didn't know that. And then I worked at the Leadership Institute for four years where I went around the country training activists and candidates how to be more effective in public policy. And um, so I don't think I, I never really realized it, but I love teaching. And even as a writer, part of what you're doing, one of the things you're doing, you're probably persuading, but you're also trying to teach people stuff they don't know. And so I've just loved that. I was just older than everyone else there. So it was just very, uh, it, it made perfect sense for me to be a part of helping to, you know, mentor interns. You had a, what was the name of the uh, section that you taught? Was, was it called From Here to There? You and uh, I believe Alex Treadway, formerly of The Daily Caller, would come in and every week we'd get a new story from all of you, the veterans, about how to function in Washington and how to be good journalists and you said work har uh, smarter, not harder. That was one of the best pieces of advice you ever gave us. What did you mean by that when you told us that? Um, I, you know, so I'm trying to remember the actual line. It's a little bit different. Work smarter, not harder, I thought was the... That's what I remembered from the old days. Um, man, I wish I could remember the actual... <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could remember the actual line. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that um, that you have to have both things right um if you if, if you choose a job this, this was the line and it's not by the way i stole this from someone else it's not this is not original to me but it's choose easy work hard choose easy explain work that. hard. and the and the point is whether it's a marriage or a job a career if you choose easy like let's say that you're naturally good at writing if you choose easy, it's something you're good at automatically, sort of naturally, and you still work hard at it, you will be great. You have a very good chance of being great. But you have to have both things. So if you choose hard, you know, like let's go with like a relationship. If you choose easy, you're choosing someone that you just have a natural rapport with, right? If you choose someone where you don't have to get marriage counseling after one week of dating, you know, uh, the relationship's easy like Sunday morning and you both work hard. You both work hard at it. You could have a great relationship and a great marriage. Same thing with the job. If you choose easy, something you're naturally um, inclined toward and you work hard, you can be great. If you get either of those things wrong, though, like if you choose hard, you choose the wrong person, you choose the wrong career. If you choose hard and you work hard, I think at best you'll be mediocre. You know, you might survive, but you won't be great. So you got to have both parts of the equation uh, in order to be great. Do you find that when you write, uh, whether it be a column, whether it be a book, whether it be uh, something in the newspaper, online, a tweet, it's very emotional, I would think. There's a lot of energy that you have to put into something like that. Is it easier to 
put your family mentally on a back burner while you're writing because of the stress? Or does your family and your faith and those deeper feelings fuel you when you write something like a book or a column? I think my philosophy is that you, um, you know, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what that means is that um, whatever you believe, whoever you are, eventually you're going to, you're going to give yourself away. You're going to betray it by, through your words. So if you've, um, if you've got love in your heart and, um, and you've been doing good things and reading good things, good things are going to come out of your mouth. And, and if you have hatred and bitterness, you can fake it, but eventually that's going to come out, right? And so I adapted that. The 21st century version of that is out of the abundance of the heart, the hand tweets. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. And so I, I just am of the philosophy that, um, yes, what, by the way, what works as a writer, you have to have strong opinions. And if you don't, you, maybe you have to work to conjure them up a little bit because it works. Why would anyone read your opinion column if, if you don't have a strong opinion or a, a strong position? But having said that, I don't think you can leave anything behind, really. I think that whatever flows out of me, to some degree, is going to reflect who I am, where I come from, what I really believe, who my my family and all that. That's at least how I look at it. It's very Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire, the things we think and, and do not say, the memo, yeah, the memo that gets him in trouble when he just spits out everything that he's been thinking for, for years. It's a mission statement, Nick. Mission statement, exactly. It was just a mission statement, as Cruise says in the movie. But uh, And I recommend my uh, listeners, anyone that hasn't seen the movie, Jerry Maguire, to check that out because it's very indicative of our business. I feel like that film, it talks about sports management and being a sports agent. And one day, as Matt knows, as you know, Matt, because we've seen it together, he wakes up from a dead sleep in a cold sweat thinking, I hate my place in the world. I'm not doing anything to actually advance something good or to truly encapsulate who I am. So for you to say that you use that in your writing, I think is a, is a good thing. A lot of people, I think, have taken this and made it a job and it was a calling because so many people are affected by it. Yes, it might be a Twitterverse of wannabe celebrities for the most part. There are still good people in this business, I think. But it affects so many millions more that take it as a gospel that I always felt it was more of a calling. Do you look at journalism as one of those professions that can be considered a calling? Or do you think that's too dramatic? No, that's how I look at it. And maybe it's overly romantic. And We are writers. But um, that's how I look at it. I look at it as if I wanted to make more money, um, I might have done something else, but I, this is fun. This is supposed to be fun. Yes. Um, and it's supposed to be a little romantic and, you know, we shouldn't be too self-important. Uh, I don't think I can maybe, I can't push the world, but as Tom Stoppard says, I, I, every day I have a chance to nudge the world a little bit as a writer. And that's all you can ask for to be, have a chance each day to be relevant and to maybe make the world a little better and to maybe teach somebody something. And um, I've always wanted to be a, a part of something like that. To me, that's exciting and inspiring. And um, I don't want to look at it as a job. And I, and I think maybe that's part of what has protected me a little bit from um, being one of those people who changes in order to 
to make more money or get more clicks, even though I want more money and I want more clicks, mainly what I really want is to have a job I, uh, that I like and I have fun doing and, and that I respect myself for being a part of. Those, those come first. And so I think that's actually kind of uh, kept me in line a little bit. Speaking of that, before we get to your latest project, your latest writing project, I want to go back a little bit. And I'm going to talk to Tucker Carlson about this as well. I'm going to interview him in one of these episodes. And we worked together, you, me, Tucker, a few other people at the Daily Caller at the height of its fame. And that place was like a, a conservative Saturday Night Live uh, in a, on crack in a good way. And where people were just throwing ideas out there. Everyone was laughing. We were in it together. There was a sense that it was special. And I wanted to ask you, what do you remember most from those days when you had a great day back during the Daily Caller run? What are your most memorable moments? Because I felt like if I could share that with the world, I would love to have described that in a book or, and I do in these podcasts, try to get people to talk about it because it was so, so amazing. What do you remember from that time period? So for me, it's not any one story. It's just a feeling. It was home. I mean, I've had two jobs in my life that I really, really loved. Um, one was the Leadership Institute and one was that time at the Daily Caller. And, and part of it is that I went into the office every day and w hung out with my friends. <laughs> you know, we had like a bar in the office. We had a ping pong table. And <laughs> That's right. I think some of these like progressive, you know, tech companies, they have that stuff, but no one uses them. They're all afraid or something. It, it's it's. But this company, the Daily Caller, when I was there, and it, I think it changed after I left. But when I was there, it was really like you could if 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 you slept on the couch all night, nobody cared. If you, it was very. It was like sometimes libertarians actually run companies in authoritarian ways, but this company was actually run in like a libertarian way. It was, we had fun and I got to go see my friends and, um, and I felt that I belong there. And, and, and I, I gotta be honest with you, man, I miss it because me too, because for the last six years I've worked from home and then particularly during COVID and, um, there's so many advantages to working from home, especially since I'm a dad and a husband and all that. And I live in West Virginia now. So commuting to D.C. would be really hellish. But um, but man, I, I get lonely and I miss uh, I miss seeing my friends. I'm right there with you. And I want to tell a quick story before we talk about your project that's upcoming, that when I was there, you not only helped teach us and gave us a compass, a North Compass by which to guide us by, but. I remember I got sick as an intern, and some of my listeners know this. I've survived spinal cancer and brain cancer, and I had no idea. I looked and felt okay, but in the end, it turned out I was sick. And you and another reporter named Alex Pappas were huge support beams for me during that time, and especially because Alex Pappas later got me connected with Dr. Ben Carson, who later helped me get a surgeon and saved my life. And not only that, but then Tucker and the rest of you all helped me get a job there full time. And I worked there for almost two years before going to Fox News. And it saved my life. I want to thank you on air, on record, Matt, that you were one of the people at the Daily Caller, that, that you were one of my angels. You helped pull me out of that very difficult time just by laughing, hanging out as friends at the office, giving me tips, advice. And I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget that time period either. So thank you for making it home and helping to make it so... 
like I said, Saturday Night Live, I felt like a featured player watching classy and very historic legendary actors ahead of me act out these skits almost. And it was just, it was so surreal. All right. Well, that's going to take us to a break, but we have much more with my good friend, Matt Lewis coming up after this. So stick around. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back from the dark and dreary world that is dead air time. But we are back in action here with more from the one, the only, Matt K. Lewis. Moving on now, you're writing a book that's due out in July of another book. This is your second, am I correct? Well, yeah, I've, I guess I've, you know, I, I wrote one little primer years ago that I self-published and then I did a book of quotes. It was, uh, it's called The Quotable Rogue, The Ideals of Sarah Palin in Her Own Words. So, but that was just me editing quotes. Um, this is my second actual book that I've published. The first is called Too Dumb to Fail. That came out when you were interning, uh, or I guess when you, uh, you, you were helping me uh, as I was writing it uh, in, in, I guess, 2015 at The Daily Caller. Um, and so I have a new book coming out. And, and you want to talk about things going full circle and, and, and friends mattering and, and being there for each other. The, um, my, <laughs> the, the publisher, the guy who, uh, who greenlighted this book is the aforementioned Alex Pappas. Oh, nice. <laughs> my former, my former <laughs> colleague at the Daily Caller who is now, uh, runs Center Street, which is the conservative imprint of Hachette, of the Hachette book, pub, book publishing company. Um, so I'm super excited and uh, every day there's something new that I'm doing with the book and it, to prepare for it to come out this, this summer. It comes out in July. My fellow Greek friend helping out. The Greeks have been good to you in your life, Matt. You have two, at least two Greeks watching your back here, me and Pappas. So you're, uh, you're in with the Greek community. I like, like the Greeks. <laughs> Who doesn't? So Pappas is a, is a great man. He's very competent, uh, not only emotionally and, and as a friend, but in his job. He's been one of the best people I've ever worked with. So you're lucky to have him steering that or having greenlit that. What is it going to be? What's going to be the biggest difference between this book now and maybe what you have written in the past, whether it be your old books or your columns? Is there something that is going to be in a different direction this time around? Yeah, I think there's a through line. The um, actually, I think they're consistent. They're very different, but consistent. So the, the the first book was called Too Dumb to Fail, and it's actually a critique of the American right and conservatism, which I felt had strayed from its Reagan roots um, in a direction of more of a populist direction that that was not my cup of tea. And now I'm writing this book called uh, Filthy Rich Politicians. And here, in a sense, I'm embracing a populist message. Um, but but I'm what I'm saying is that um, there are a lot of reasons why Americans, just like Americans have lost trust in the media, Americans have lost trust in their elected officials and their elites. And um, there are a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons uh, is that our, our elites um, have been enriching them, have been enriching themselves. So this book is about 
how the rich get elected and how the elected get rich. And um, I'm not writing this because I want to be like a populist demagogue who brings about, you know, class warfare and eat the rich and all that stuff. I think I'm calling on our elected officials to get their act together, to deserve um, to be respected and, and deserve for uh, there are well, there are public servants and, and they need to they need to start acting like it. And for the good of liberal democracy, for the good of the republic, I think this is an important message. And, you know, the, I think Nick, probably the most egregious or obvious problem is the insider trading which is a bipartisan problem. But I think Nancy Pelosi is probably the most famous benefactor of what at least looks like congressional insider trading with her husband's uh, very lucky stock investments. Yeah, I know. Right. Lucky guests like they're throwing a dart at a dartboard. Meanwhile, they know almost everything about the government and about what's going to happen. So it's very odd that they all become millionaires when they come to Washington to serve us, servants of the people. That sounds like a great topic for a book, though, right now, because and, and the show is called here, this show, Brace for Impact, because everything is collapsing. The banking system, the schools, our kind of reemergence from COVID is happening very slowly, as you mentioned before, changed the work life of a lot of people and just the social life of millions as well. What happens when the pendulum swings back. I always try to ask my guests if there's a way out of this, and maybe you talk about it in your book. What does it look like when people take hold of their government and actually started to put people that were representative of the population in there that weren't just filthy rich politicians? Is there a vision of the future where that exists, you think? Yeah, I do. I think um, in America usually corrects itself. And... Um, America is very resilient, and that's one of the things that makes us exceptional, is that we usually find a way after exhausting all the other options. Um, and really, I mean, the, th the things that I'm calling for um, are, are not radical, right? I, I'm, I'm a conservative. I, I don't want a revolution that, that, you know, I don't want to show up at a politician's door with a pitchfork and a torch. I mean... Well, we need our reforms. We need to, for example, ban uh, stock trading from members of Congress. And this is a bipartisan, very popular idea that just doesn't ever seem to get done. But, you know, everyone from AOC to Ted Cruz to Josh Hawley um, want to do this. Uh, at least they say they do. Will they do it? Will they actually do it? That's that would be one of one big thing. But, you know, there's a lot of things, for example, uh, book deals. You know, I'm writing this book, but um, members of Congress since I think 1991 are prohibited from getting paid to give speeches. And the reason for this is that if you wanted to pay off a politician, you could just invite them to give a speech and pay them a lot of money. And yet members of Congress are writing these books and um, they're getting paid very handsomely for writing these books. And oftentimes the, the book succeeds because of bulk purchases. In other words, somebody, uh, it can't be the campaign. If, if, the, if the politician is going to earn royalties, the, their campaign is, is not allowed uh, to make, to buy like 50,000 copies, but other entities are allowed. And- um, Buffers. Yes, exactly. And so 
uh, we just need to do to have reforms, I, I think, common sense reforms. And that's really, I think, what technology changes, the world changes. The American public, we have to constantly be uh, adapting and making changes. And uh, my book lays out several that I think would help um, help bring things back into order. The Brad Pitt Moneyball, Adapt or Die. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a line in that movie where Brad Pitt says, uh, the fans don't run my ball club. And um, I think that's a big problem right now in America. The fans are running newsrooms. The fans are running uh, the show and we need adults. We need leaders like uh, the Billy Bean character in that movie to say, look, uh, I'm I'm picking the players here. The fans don't run my ball club. New ideas. Yeah, and it was he he meant resistance as well. Not as the movie romanticizes it, obviously, but in real life, people didn't they lacked faith in a new idea. And look at that. You know, he almost took down the Yankees and eventually they're not winning every year anymore. Everyone kind of went to Moneyball. But uh, in that vein, just to kind of chill everybody out, because we talk about such deep topics on the show, I like to talk about movies and books and things that help illuminate my guest's mind and chill them out because a lot of them, like yourself, are neck deep in this battle. And the weird thing about media is, though, it's our job, you and me and, and other guests that will come on the show, everyone's affected by it. There's a TV. There's a phone everywhere. There's news, even about Trump. You know, getting arrested, all these things, you can't avoid it. You could be a nurse, you could still hear about things that you and I, Matt, worked on during our daily life. So what's one of your favorite movies or books that you use as an escape hatch or that when you watch, you feel at ease about with what's going on or your mind is distracted by it? Because I think people need that now, maybe more than ever. Yeah, I don't think that there's, I don't think there's a, a movie that I go to specifically to help me uh, grapple with what I'm going through. But there are just a lot of great movies. And one of my favorite things is to watch movies and TV uh, with my kids, but but not to do so passively, to do so intentionally. Like I pick what we're going to watch and we I'm pausing constantly. Do you know what this word means? Or uh, talking about the theme, explaining things to them, answering their questions. So it's a real teachable moment. And um, there's just so many good movies that I do that with. Uh, we just watched School of Rock. Great film. Jack Black. Great film. Yeah. Uh, I showed them the TV version of Jerry Maguire recently. Nice. Minus the clean cut. One. <laughs> yeah, because there is... A surprisingly kind of intense sex scene. There is, um, that, yes. That if you're not, but, you know, we skip past that, but everything else was fine. Um, I really like, speaking of Tom Cruise, um, A Few Good Men. Great, another great I, movie. We watched that a couple times a year. Uh, the original Red Dawn. Oh, a classic. Um, I like First Blood. The, uh, Rambo. Uh, that's uh, it's, uh, Sly Stallone. The, the, the first Stallone, uh, the first the first Rambo movie. Uh, obviously, all the Rocky movies. Um but I just I think that uh, which movie it is is probably less important than than that you have other things in your life, whether it's entertainment um, or co community, church, uh, children, exercise, running. I mean, I do all all of these things are important for balance. I think if you just did this job as a as a journalist. Um, and you didn't have these other kind of mediating institutions to keep you emotionally and mentally and spiritually grounded. 
not only would um would you probably be a bad person i just don't think you would last long you go crazy yeah, yeah you'd snap and I, i've been on both ends of it where i feel like i'm on top of the world because i have all that going on i have an exercise regiment i have the music the people the church and even when one part of that slips you're right in any business in any industry in today's world even it seems like if you don't have that to stay level especially in media it's going to be tough but i want to close with one thought that you brought up uh, before we wrap up this episode my mother used to do what you did with your children we'd watch a movie and my dad and mom were big fans of introducing uh, PG-13 stuff early. And then my siblings would kind of let me see some of the R stuff when I was younger. My dad took my older brother when he was about eight to go see Predator, which my mother wasn't happy with. But point being, my mom would always do what you did and pause it and go, see, that's integrity. Or pause it and say, that's real love. Or pause it, that's faith in God. Or like you said, do you understand what that word means? Or I would ask the question. I would pause it and say, why would they do that? And my parents, always ready with an answer, always ready with a, a teaching moment, as you said, to go deeper. And that's what part of what inspired me to do this podcast. It was talking about the things that give you goosebumps and make you feel like you've been moved. And a lot of that comes in movies and music and, and people in media. So I think that's a great lesson that you have for your kids. Yeah. And I think your book is going to be uh, great. I think it couldn't come at a better time. And I think that it's going to be something that people should read. You're a great writer. You've always been a great communicator. And I want to give you the floor before we cut the episode out. Is there anything that people out there should know as far as what's going on in the news or how they can cope? Or is there any advice you have for my listeners on how we can get through this seemingly crazy societal mess that things have become? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's you know, as a uh, as a citizen, it's part of our responsibility to know what's going on in the world and and to be uh, well versed in it, and even to be a part of it. Um, you know, there's this great quote. Uh, I think it's Oliver Wendell Holmes or something where he said, uh, you know, you've got to be a part of the the great the great defining moments uh, in your life. Otherwise you'll be judged as to, to not have lived. So I'm all for participation in democracy and, and uh, being up on current events. But I also think it's incredibly damaging to be inundated with news and to be obsessed with it. And so I would just encourage everyone to, it's like a, it's a diet. You know, your media consumption is is part of your daily diet, but it should not be it should not account for five or 10 hours of your day unless you're getting paid for it. You know, um, it should be church and community and little league and uh, going out to a nice restaurant and watching a movie that nourishes your soul and reading a good novel and going to the beach and going for a jog and going for a walk and kissing a girl or a guy, do whatever you like, <laughs> yeah. preferably your spouse. If you're married um, <laughs> in this but, town, uh, I don't know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> you got to do that. I, you know, and, and please, I mean, you know, uh, during, if, if there is a diet and, and if there is a media diet, I mean, you know, please, you know, click like on my columns or whatever, retweet them, uh, buy my book, uh, Filthy Rich Politicians. But then after you've done that, <laughs> go for a nice walk. 
I love it. I love it. One of my great friends, Matt Lewis, uh, please keep us posted on your book. We'd love to have you back when it hits the stands and is available on Amazon and online. And please give my best to Pappas. And we'd love to have you back on to talk more life, Matt. This is definitely going to help Brace for Impact. Your advice was great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dick. We're coming back right after this. So don't go anywhere. Much more to come. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, folks. That was the great Matt Lewis speaking on some great topics about life, about having children, and his new book, Filthy Rich Politicians, which is set to come out now in July. And what I found most interesting before we get back to his book and Matt's character, which is what I want to close with, he said something very interesting that I thought when I was asking him about doing activities with your family, and he was talking about what are good things to go out and do. And when he talked about getting fresh air, going to a restaurant with your family, if you are going to watch a movie, making it one that, quote, nourishes your soul, end quote. Those kinds of answers are rare. Mostly people would say, give the kid a phone or let your child do whatever they want. Or people withdraw. I've noticed that throughout the last few decades, it used to be where the living room was for living. It wasn't for TV. And even after that, when it became a TV room for most families, for most people, you at least had one thing on the screen that bound you together. So if you're going to stay in and not take Matt's advice, at least there was a communal sense to everything. If you're watching the Nick game together, the NBA finals, you're gathering as a family in the living room. If you're watching the president address the nation or big news that happens that stops everything in the world or in the country, you're doing it together. Now, not only does everyone have their own personalized screens with whatever they want on it, But that device also happens to be the main form of communication for your work, for your friends, for your doctors, everything. Through your email, your text, your entertainment, your... And that's become unhealthy. I think that's part of the reason people are so stressed and divided today, because they don't know how to cope with what are normal emotions. Fear, anger, self-doubt, depression. And when you bury that in a sea of drugs legal and illegal, and distractions like pornography or movies that don't nurture your soul or going out and drinking or clubbing, or it will hit you. It may sound like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood to want to become a family unit again or to do things that are a little more wholesome, but when you wake up Monday morning hungover from that life of distraction, even the most ferocious people that are skeptical about life and about goodness, even they feel that, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have opted for what Lewis was saying. Wholesome, fulfilling. In your 20s, it's hard to be told that, young people today. It's very difficult before you have children or if you're younger, even if you have kids, to be told, hey, you're not invincible. Stop partying. Stop just trying to distract yourself from the pain of the world. But speaking 
for myself, I'm 31 now. There is a difference between your 20s and your 30s. However, as fun as it is to party like there's no tomorrow, the sooner you wake up and start emulating those kinds of ways of life, the peaceful, without hard drugs, without having your phone in your face every 10 seconds, it balances out. You may not get that dopamine hit right away, and you may have to go through pain. You may have to feel boredom in that family gathering. It won't be as instantly gratifying, but it also won't bottom you out and make you feel so depressed that you are a cynic that (laughs) just doesn't know where to go. Matt never was that way. Even in his most stressful periods of his life since I've known him as his friend, he's always championed that message, so he's consistent. He's not someone that tells us this on this podcast and then goes and has five martinis and yells at his kids. No, Matt is on the level with that. And his book, I think, is also a symptom of this sort of societal just pulling away. People are withdrawing, not just into their own rooms or into their own corner of the house or wherever they live, but mentally, spiritually, socially. We've been fractured We've been divided deeply. And for anyone that doesn't think this is on purpose, look at the title of Matt's book, Filthy Rich Politicians. It's never more easy to enrich yourself, break the rules, and dominate a people than when those people are divided against each other. Now, Matt's book sounds like it's going to focus more on the financial gains that a lot of these members of Congress are making, even though they come to serve, this is a public service job to come to Congress, to come and be a part of the administration of of the White House. These are jobs that you normally see people take out of a sense of duty. You would hope patriotic duty for your country, but even if it's just general sense of responsibility, I'm going to step up and help my fellow man. And yet somehow... If the people picked for executive positions are not millionaires already, the Congress men and women and the senators, they come into town with maybe like a low six-figure net worth, and then all of a sudden they're millionaires. They're made millionaires, it seems, but from one minute to the next, simply by playing along. Don't get in our way, and we'll make it worth your while. That's the code. And it looked like for a few cycles there that Americans were willing to break that mold. And I'm hoping that with the recent financial chaos, with the political divisions, with the Trump trial, with all these fracture points that are starting to show, these cracks that are beginning to appear, that people really do start to not just talk about these things and think about them, but actually act on them. How many years have we been shouting Hey, how'd these people become millionaires? Hey, they're colluding behind our back. Hey, they're rubbing our face in it with the media that's obviously complicit with the politicians so that they'll come back on. It's going to take fiscal, emotional, societal, and healthcare-related pain and rationing and drops in service supply chain issues. These are things that we're seeing just glimpses of. This is just a crash course. This is the 101. Wait till we get to the advanced part of this downward slide. We're going to need 
those tenants that Matt was speaking to, that you need your, a family. Now, some people aren't blessed with blood relatives, but that doesn't mean you can't rally around people and find others with whom to share your joys and your pain. And the only way we're going to fight the power the way that Matt's book and other journalists are hoping to do is if we can come together and get past this initial sadness and depression that is keeping us at a distance from one another. The powers that be, so to speak, the influencers, the cable networks, the drug companies, the people with a real heavy billions of dollars at stake, they don't want everyone to wake up and join in a protest about how congressmen and women and members of Congress are making millions of dollars. There are protests and there are events and there are watchdog groups, yes. But I don't know. You tell me out there in podcast land, have you seen any reforms that have made it so that these people don't become millionaires? And until people start acting on their own the way that they would want these politicians to act, it won't change. It'll be something we can gripe about. It'll be something we're upset about. It'll be something that hurts the nation and hopples the world because usually when America goes dark, it goes dark for a lot of places. But it will not stop what's coming. It will not fix the problem. It will not pull the weed out by the root. So I'm hoping with Matt's book and with his devotion to this topic and that it's something that's finally making the rounds on both sides of the spectrum that it's one of those, rare these days, I'll admit, but one of those bipartisan issues that we can start addressing and saying, wait a minute, are you slicing tax money off the top? Are you just using your office and selling it out in every way you can when you should be governing for the betterment of the people? But in the end, the choice is yours. It's in your hands. It may not feel that way. It may not seem that way. They may tell you that it's not that way to discourage you. But know this, your destiny, what you want the future to be, it is, is still in your hands. This is not Venezuela. This is not Uganda. It's still America. So let's try to pull the curtain back on this here. Let's pull the curtain back on the Wizard of Oz. And finally agree that I don't think anybody, right, left, gay, straight, up, down, black, white enjoy seeing public servants make millions of dollars when record tax collection is going on and inflation is going off the charts, exploding. And yet we're left here to wonder how on earth could these people have gotten in and how on earth could they have parlayed it into millions of dollars. So let's hope that Matt's work sparks something and his example should at least get you interested enough to buy the book. I think I'm going to buy the book personally, not just because he's my friend, but because it's about time somebody wrote this. And please look into him. Follow Matt on the social media handles. We have his socials listed in the episode description. And remember that it's hard to know who to trust. Almost everyone has some sort of agenda, even the well-meaning people. But at least with Matt, he's professional. He's clear-cut. There's no mistaking what he's trying to say to you, what he's trying to give you. And that's, I think, worthy of at least a follow on social media, or at least keep your eye on him. So watch out for this guy, Matt Lewis in the News, his great podcast. Check that out as well. And remember, it's in your hands, no one else's. God bless. We'll see you next episode.